times, they are a-changing. Uh, so sung Bob Dylan in the 60s. Relax, I'm not going to sing the song for you. But, boy, that seems to be the case at the moment. Uh, look, just chatting around people over the last couple of weeks, uh, people are changing... Lots of stuff going on. People are changing jobs, they're changing towns, they're changing addresses... Uh, they've got children changing schools, they've got children changing studies, uh, they've got children who are going to school for the first time, they've got children who are finishing school for the first time, there are people who are expecting the f- their first child. I don't, uh, if you're sitting out there and you're thinking that life's a bit of a blur at the moment, let me tell you that you are not the only one. It would seem that the times are changing for lots and lots of people. And what is true at a personal level for so many of us is also true for us as a church family. I mean, we had been expecting this time of year to be a bit of a change. For over 12 months, the session had been thinking of planning a fifth church to kick off this time of year. Remember, we put out all the surveys, asked people for their help. Uh, Thank you for all that input. Uh, We had been planning for some change, but then in a bit of a surprise to all of us, Paul and Margie, Uh, headed off to serve Jesus in Albury, and suddenly there's been a whole new level of change that has been overlaid on top of everything. Uh, Made me think of that saying, you know, uh, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Bottom line, uh, this is a real time of change here at DPC, and the session has seized upon that and are using that as an opportunity to refocus on what we are on about as a church and also how we might go about doing it. And so this morning, on behalf of the session, on behalf of Ian and Greg and Kelvin and Al and Wayne and myself, let me share with you some of the plans for the next stage of life here at DPC. Uh, Let me share some of our ambitions. And I want to do it under two headings. Firstly, let me tell you what's not going to change here, and then secondly, let me tell you what is going to change. Firstly, what is not going to change? We are not going to stop being unashamedly on about Jesus Christ. Because in the end, that is not a session decision, that is a God decision. Uh, That is a non-negotiable. So have a look at today's Bible reading with me. In particular, go and have a look at chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. The Apostle Paul here is writing to a new little church that's been established in the town at Colossae. Now, Paul has never actually visited or been there himself. but he's heard that people have become Christians there. That's made him really excited. And so he's rushed off this letter so as to encourage them, so as to teach them, but he's also written this letter in part to introduce himself to them. Chapter 2, verse 2. My purpose is... Here is what the Apostle Paul is on about. Here is what his focus is. Here is what the guy's goal in ministry is. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul's purpose in ministry is that people get to know Jesus Christ as completely as possible. Do you see that there? Verse 2, look down at it. It starts out, that he wants them to be encouraged in heart and united in love. But that is not the end in itself. He wants those things so that, in order that, the last bit of the verse, in order that they may have complete understanding of the mystery of God, 
namely Christ. In other words, the ultimate focus of Paul's ministry, the final goal that he is moving to all the time, the end game for him, it's for people to know Jesus. You also see it expressed in chapter 1, verse 28. We proclaim him, that, that is Jesus, we proclaim Jesus admonishing and teaching everyone. Not just a few people, not just a lot of people, not just the majority of people, everyone with all wisdom so that we may present not just a few people, not just a majority of people, not just a lot of people, everyone, present everyone perfect in Christ. Did you catch the key idea in that little sentence? He wants every man, woman and child to know Jesus. The person who sits across from you at work, your teacher at school, your students at school, your lecturer at uni or TAFE, the women you go to playgroup with, the other people in your sporting team, the girl at the KFC drive through the bloke who comes and checks the water meter, the neighbour over the back fence who you don't really know all that well yet, the, the child you tuck into bed every night, your mum, your dad. Paul wants them all. He wants every single one of them to know Jesus and to know him really, really well. And what's really instructive about that is that this is not some sort of personal mission statement that Paul has dreamt up himself. It's in fact been given to him by God. We discover that if you back up into chapter 1 and verse 25 where Paul points out that he didn't come up with this emphasis on Jesus on his own. Verse 25, he says it came by commission of God. No less than God himself has enlisted Paul. No less than God himself has appointed Paul to tell everyone about Jesus. Everyone. Now, why would God want that? Well, it's because of how staggeringly important Jesus Christ is. And that's what's spelled out in the earlier verses of the reading. For example, back right up to chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image, this is Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. They are phenomenal verses. Verse 15 alone is breathtaking enough that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's not like Adam who was made in the image. Jesus is the image. In other words, Jesus is not just God's true representative on earth. He is also God's true representation on earth. That in Jesus, the exact nature, the exact character of God is perfectly revealed. That when you see what Jesus thinks about certain things, that's how God thinks about certain things. When you see how Jesus treats people, that's how God treats people. When you see what makes Jesus weep, that's what makes God weep. He's also described as the firstborn over all creation. Notice it doesn't say that he's the firstborn of creation. He's not saying that Jesus was the first thing created. That's clearly not the case. The next verse explicitly says that everything was created by him. No, no, Jesus is not the firstborn of creation. He's the firstborn over creation in the sense that he's the heir of creation. In the same way that the firstborn son in a family at the time, they were the heir of the family property, heir of the family fortune. It's saying that Jesus owns 
the world. Look around. Jesus owns it. See, this is my piece of paper. I own it. Pay good money for it down at Big Dub. It's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. I could write a letter to you. I could make a a paper aeroplane. I could make one of those fancy little origami birds. Actually, I couldn't make one of those fancy... But you know what I mean. I could just screw it up. Toss it away. It's mine. I own it. Jesus owns you. He owns your family. He owns everything. He has the right to do with it whatever he wants. It's actually not your life. Now, we haven't even got to verse 17 where, we, uh, where we're told that in, all, in him all things hold together. But you're starting to see that Jesus is not an optional extra in this life. You can't compartmentalise him and say, you know, okay, these parts of my life are for Jesus and these parts are for me. He is central to everything. This building, this lectern, the clothes you're wearing, what you had for breakfast, your job, the car you drove here in, the music you listen to, the movies you watch, the websites you visit, the sport you play, your children, all made for Jesus, all made by Jesus, all held together by Jesus. I don't know how big you think Jesus is. I can guarantee he is bigger. He has more splendour, he has more power, he has more authority in his little finger than you can begin to imagine. And therefore there is nothing more important than knowing him. And there could be nothing more serious than not knowing him. Look, for example, at verse 21, chapter 1. So, verse 21, chapter 1. Once you are alienated from God... You were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour. But now he has has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I don't know that we usually feel the force of a verse like that. I mean, do you walk down the street and bump into people and do you think of them as alienated from God and enemies of God because of their evil behaviour? Or do you walk down the street and bump into people and look at them and think things like, well, you know, hey, they're not, going, they're not doing too badly for themselves. Oh, gee, they've got a good job, like their car. They're nice looking. Friends, it doesn't matter how successful someone is, it doesn't matter how attractive they appear, it doesn't matter how happy they look, if they don't know Jesus, they are in big trouble. Because if they don't know Jesus, they are at odds with the one who made them, the one who owns them, the one who holds them together. They are enemies of God, destined for punishment, and the only hope of reconnection with God is by being presented free from accusation through Christ's death. Friends, knowing Jesus is absolutely crucial to everyone. And the Apostle Paul is gripped by the importance of that. I think there'd be something wrong with anyone who wasn't. And so in verse 24, he says he suffers. In verse 25, he says he serves. In verse 29, he says he struggles so as to make sure that everyone gets to know Jesus Christ. That is his purpose. And here at DPC, that is our purpose. 
We also are focused by the importance of every single person you know needing to know Jesus. We want to be on about the same thing that God commissioned the Apostle Paul to be on again. And so this is a time of change. That is not going to change. As a church, we are primarily unashamedly on about promoting Jesus. So can I gently say, this is not a social club. And if that's primarily why you are here, if you are mainly here to make friends and have some fun, give yourself a circle of support, well, look, we love having you here. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's great you're here. It's, it's great to have friends. Please, though, just be aware that if that is why you're here, you are at odds with what we are really on about. We are primarily, unashamedly, on about promoting Jesus. And at a time of change, maybe that's helpful to remind ourselves of. Maybe it's good to, if necessary, reorientate ourselves to that. A couple of years back, the Maroochydore Life Saving Club opened their wonderful new clubhouse up there on the Sunshine Coast. What turned out to be uh, quite telling, however, was that the Maroochydore Surf Lifesaving Club, they made sure that the clubhouse had a beautiful restaurant. The Maroochydore Life Save, uh, Surf Lifesaving Club made sure there was room for a surf bar and uh, a fancy gym. The Maroochydore Surf Lifesaving Club especially made sure that there was room for 70 poker machines. But when they opened the building, Maroochydore Surf Lifesaving Club club actually realised that there wasn't any room for the lifeguards. And in all their excitement, in all their plans and schemes, they had actually forgotten their core business. They'd forgotten that the club was actually there to save lives. We don't want that to happen here. We are primarily, we are unashamedly on about promoting Jesus because we are in the business of saving lives. And no matter what changes, that's not going to change while this session lives and breathes. But hey, against that background, let me share with you some of the things that are going to change. Let me move from what we're on about more on to how we're going to be on about it. Let me mention three things. One, for almost 20 years now, we've sort of had a motto here at DPC, and our motto has been to present Christ to everyone, to present everyone mature in Christ. It's uh, there on the bulletin. It's on our website. It's what we use to explain what we're on about to people. And it's a motto that's served us well. We, we actually stole it from this morning's reading in verse 28. For quite a while now, though, we've been wondering whether or not we could say the same thing but say it a bit better, especially say it in a way that was easier for non-church people to get their heads around. Because remember, we actually want everyone to know Jesus. So, you know, you're having a water cooler conversation at work and someone says, hey, here you go up to the Prezi Church there at Douglas Mawson Drive. Oh, there seems to be lots of cars up at that building. What are you guys on about up there anyway? Oh, well, we're on about presenting Christ to every person and presenting every person maturing Christ. True, can we say it better? We've decided to change our motto to the much simpler growing followers of Christ Jesus. We think it says the same thing. 
We like the double meaning of the word growing, that it can be both growing in numbers, growing in maturity. We like the fact that it's a really rich, well-used New Testament word. We like the fact that it captures both dimensions of the old motto. We especially like the fact that it could be a bit more memorable, a bit clearer to non-church people as to what we're on about. Hey, I hear you go up to the Prezi Church. What are you guys on about up there? It's easy. We're growing followers of Jesus. Now, related to this, the second thing we're changing is that you're going to be hearing a lot of discussion here at DPC about connect, grow, serve. Because if growing followers of Jesus describes our purpose in hopefully a catchier way, connect, grow, serve describes the progress we're after in a catchy way, we hope. That as a church, here is the movement, here is the flow, here is the action, Here is the activity that we are looking for in ourselves and in each other. We firstly want to be connecting people to God through uh, through Jesus Christ. We want to be helping people become Christians. And then once they become Christians, we want them to grow as Christians. We want them to grow in personal godliness. We want ourselves to grow in our understanding of God's word, to use phrases from today's passage. We want to be growing into the full riches of knowing Jesus. And then thirdly, we want to be mobilised in serving each other and, uh, and indeed everyone. We don't want to just connect and grow ourselves. We want to help others connect and grow as well because we're with the Apostle Paul. We're on God's agenda. We want everyone to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Connect, grow, serve. Connect, grow, serve. wonder where you are on that, that progress. Connect, grow, surf. They're activities we're going to be hearing a lot more about. In fact, over the next three Sundays, Wayne and Al and I, we're going to work through each of those three things in turn. The mini-zine that we're going to be looking at at, um, on Wednesday nights for the next three weeks, those articles look at each one of those three things. More to the point today, though, these are key categories that we have actually used to reshape the way that Al and Wayne and I are now going to be involved in each of the churches. And this is the third and perhaps the most significant thing that's going to change here at DPC. Because when Paul decided to go to Aubrey, the session, rather than just go into automatic pilot and start thinking about, oh, you know, who are we going to look for a replacement, uh, the session didn't want to be forced into anything. They instead pulled out a complete blank sheet of paper and thought about whether we could do things differently. Could we do things a bit more efficiently here, a bit more productively? And we chatted to lots of other churches. We gathered lots more, uh, lots of ideas. And we've decided on a new ministry model where Alan, Wayne and I will have a much greater involvement in all the churches than has been previously the case. Now, don't mishear me. Each church will still have a specific pastor. Each church will still have a particular one who will have general oversight and care, but they will also have all of us involved in the church now. Here's the way it's going to work. Wayne's going to be still pastoring morning church, but he will also oversee the connecting type ministries in every church. Wayne's going to be helping us here at Early Church think about what outreach things we can do to connect our people to Jesus. He's going to be helping us think about how we can be better welcoming new people when they do come along to Early Church. Al will still be pastor here of Early Church, but he's going to be focusing on the grow-type ministries in every church. Uh, Al will be especially helping us 
think about how we can resource our growth groups, how we can be supporting and encouraging and caring for the leaders of those groups. And for me, well, with Paul going, I'm now going to pastor Evening Church uh, along with Tuesday Church. And that's only fair. Our pastor's early church here and also cares for mob. Wayne pastors morning church, cares for clag. I'll be pastoring Evening Church, caring for Tuesday Church. But in terms of the Connect, Grow, Serve, I'll be helping with serve-type ministries. I'll be helping to think through ways that we can equip and mobilise ourselves to look outside of ourselves to help other people connect and grow with Jesus. Doing personal evangelism training, thinking about how to follow up new Christians, how to read the Bible with someone. What all this means is that for you here in early church, it means that Al is your pastor but you're going to be seeing a lot more of all of us from now on. And we are really enthused by that idea because we think that this will bring a scale of efficiency to the way we do stuff. And look, that's not going to say that we won't eventually need to add to the ministry team again just because we're restructuring stuff rather than you know, automatically replacing Paul. That doesn't mean that we may not need to add a new person to the team at another time, if God is generous enough to give, give us growth, we'll need to put on more workers. It's just that they'll be being added now to a much different ministry model than before. We're reshaping the way we do stuff. We're rewording the model, the motto. But can I actually return to how we started? Because that's, that's the most important bit. The most important bit is what is not changing. What is most important is not how we're going to do this. What's most important is why we're going to do it. We're doing it to promote Jesus. We're doing it because we want to be on the same page as God himself. We want every man, woman and child to know Jesus Christ and to know him really well. Because, friends, can you imagine if, if we actually got serious about this? Can you imagine with me just for a moment if we got serious about growing followers of Jesus? Imagine if we really did get stuck into being connected to Jesus and growing to be like Jesus and serving other people so that they could be connected and grow to be like Jesus. Can you, can you just imagine for a couple of seconds what could happen? Do you know that if every single one of us in this room this morning... Uh, Forget the other churches, just this room this morning. If those of us here were to bring one single new person to church every year, okay, just one a year, I'm not talking about one a week, I'm not talking about one a month. If we were each just to bring one new person a year, but we did a really good job at it. You know, we really did get alongside them and help them connect with Jesus. And then having become a Christian, we then helped them grow as a Christian in all the fullness that that meant. And then we helped them begin to serve others by helping them to be equipped to connect and grow someone else. And so by the end of this year, not only are they a follower of Jesus, but they also are going to bring along another new person just like we will the next year. Do you know, if we were to actually do that, it would take less than 10 years for every man, woman and child in Dubbo to follow Jesus. That is not a bad 10-year plan. Okay, it's going to be tough getting a park on a Sunday. 
wouldn't it be great for Jesus to be honoured that way? That every person in this city knew the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Friends, it's a time of change. What is not going to change is that we're on about growing followers of Christ Jesus. And we say with the Apostle Paul that we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end we labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in us. I'll pray. Father, thank you for the rich privilege of being your people, of being able to promote Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us and protect us to keep striving for that cause so that every man, woman and child we know would hear of Jesus, know Jesus, be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And Father, we pray that you might be good enough and gracious enough to use our ideas and our plans to give growth so that, so that your son, Jesus, would be honoured. Please. To this end we labour. Amen.